Hello, I'm James Starr, co-founder of Inspire You and Yes, I Will Vote. And welcome to the seventh episode of Ramona Telling Our Story series podcast. On this week's episode, we have Jordan Byrne, the founder of Young Conservatives for People's Vote. In this episode, we talk about the challenges that came with being a conservative on the Remain side of the Brexit argument, why Jordan set the group up in the first place, what the country looks like now for young people especially, and whether or not there is a crisis of conservatism here in the UK. I hope you enjoy. So Jordan, uh, welcome to the fifth, I think, episode of Ramona's uh, Telling Our Story. Tongue-in-cheek title, but with the idea of documenting the uh, the main narrative from that PV period, you know, referendum through to general election. Um, and, you know, telling the stories of some of the main campaigners during that period. So thank you very much for coming on and uh, talking to me today. So first thing I want to ask you is, you're a young guy like me, and you're also a, a founder of um, one of the movements, one of the People Vote movements. Tell me, who is Jordan first, and tell me what it, why it was and what it was that you set up. Well, thanks, uh, James, for having me. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to do. Uh, to, it, it feels like a lifetime ago now, right? Uh, all that's happened this year, the People's Vote campaign, so it's good to, to, to <laughs> reminisce almost. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, obviously uh, I'm four. I've uh, graduated at the end of uh, last year as well, and uh, you know I started the, uh, the the Young Conservatives for a People's uh, Vote campaign, uh, and, and really for one two main reasons. Um, there wasn't enough representation. You know, there were a lot of uh, young people that were feeling politically homeless obviously you know about a lot of the young people that are, that are more left-leaning and uh, part of the Labour Party but there yeah. are a lot of uh, young people who felt rather politically homeless when the Conservative Party started to go uh, the way it did people that were natural uh, maybe left-wing socially but uh, more centre-right right-wing economically that uh -huh. didn't really feel like they had a home in the Conservative Party at the time uh, and a lot of these people were um, as I said natural leaning Conservative voters and um, who were pro pro European, uh, so there were there were these members of the party that were not having their voices heard uh, in the in, in the narrative of it. When you go on TV, you see the same figures all the time. You see your Tom Harwoods, you see your uh, Darren Grimes of the world yeah, as, uh, as the Brexit side, and uh, who are obviously also right wing. Um, yeah. Most sense of the word, Darren Grimes more so. Um, and then you had your 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 femmies uh, on representing the Remain side, uh, who most conservatives would see as a left winger. Yeah, yeah. To to, to a varying degree. Um, I mean, he, he has called himself a lefty, so he's yeah, he, he definitely identifies on the left. Well, it was a difficult it was a difficult line to, to to balance for him because he was part of the People's Vote's main main uh, purpose was to get Jeremy Corbyn on side, so they had to try and shake off the the Blairite. Um, uh, appearance that's true so he did. was calling himself a lefty to appeal to them and then the conservatives were looking at that thinking god is a left-right divide so essentially the idea was what is that we were meant to try and the, the idea was that we had to try and balance out the scales it's not just uh it's not just right-wing brexit left-wing conservative yeah um so yeah that that was that was the that was the, was the main reason why um and when did you say when did you say uh, young conservatives of people's vote that's what it was called wasn't it yeah, so um, that was after the referendum, right? Yeah, yes, no, it was um, obviously the referendum in 2016. We started that campaign uh, towards the mid part of 2018, and um, when it looked like Parliament was in deadlock, there's the, the Conservatives obviously have a minority government here. Um, it it didn't look like uh, anything was getting through. Uh, and, and and therefore, we obviously, you know the lines. We thought the only way to, to do that was to go back to the people. But we started that around then. It really started to pick up properly in 2019 time, um, when we, uh, we we launched officially at the beginning of 2019. And um, yeah, after then, we started to get a lot more coverage, and uh, I hope uh, broaden the debate. I mean, I I certainly came across you quite late in the day. I think it must have been like mid part of the yeah. way through 2019 in yeah. fact i think the first time i met you you were you were do you were speaking at the march for change uh rally yes. weren't you in in uh in parliament square 
Um, yours, uh, yours is memorable, actually. I remember you being, um, I was being quite surprised by considering, you know, your age and the fact that I didn't know how much experience you'd had at that time, but you, you were one of the better speakers on the day. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? Where's he been all this time sort of thing? Um, <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, genuinely, genuinely. Um, but just, I'll, we'll come back to this in a second. I want to just go back just briefly because I think the listeners will be interested to hear a little bit more about you and your story. So to, let's go back to the actual day of the referendum. What yeah. were you were you campaigning on Brexit prior to 2019? So you were to, you were totally out of the game until literally 2018. So what, what were you doing on the day? Did did you vote? Were you interested in it at all? Did you have a yeah yeah go on yeah yeah well so, I mean I've always been uh, fairly interested in politics. Um, I would say not not so much. I, I've always been quite interested in politics and. Um, you know, on, on the, it's, it's only till really, you know, 2019, 2018 time that I started to get properly actively involved. Uh, but at the time on the day, I remember coming home from college um, after voting with my parents in, in, the, in the local voting booth. I was 19 at the time, I think. 19? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, oh, it sounds young, um, but some of the people that I worked on this campaign, like Liam, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, it was... Yeah when he was doing most of the work I mean, really really astonishing how young some of the guys were in the in the whole people's work campaign in general but anyway um i don't remember the day too well i voted i remember doing that um and i remember waiting up until maybe midnight to to see a few of the first results came come in uh, i didn't i mean at the time i didn't really understand how significant each part was it was just right yeah. 10 percent of the votes been counted time to go to bed yeah. Um, I remember waking up the next morning, obviously all hell was breaking loose, the pound was crashing. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the thing I remember most distinctly is I went downstairs, watched David Cameron resign, and at that time uh, I was a, <laughs> a conservative, a Cameroon, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and I, I really quite liked him, you know. I mean, obviously the, the saying rings true that uh, with age comes uh, wiseness, being more wise, I don't know. Um, so so I... I, I I'm no longer uh, a fan of, cam of camera okay. back then. Let me just do <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is myself from that. But I remember being quite upset at the time, and I remember my dad, who was quite a, um, he was, he was, he was in favour for leave. He was, uh, and we, we had quite a lot of arguments about that at the time. Um, I remember him standing quite cautious and like, oh, uh, is this the right thing to have done? Mm. Like Cameron as well, and I don't know why he's resigned almost, or I don't. don't wouldn't have wanted him to resign. Um, so, so that that's really what I remember uh, most most clearly uh, from the day. Uh, yeah. but, but 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 wasn't particularly active in politics. So for me, it was it was more like uh, outsiders, you I guess. So your dad had a bit of like sort of trepidation on the day, like oh, I wonder if we've made the right choice, sort of thing. Yes, and, ju and just to clarify, because he he would definitely want me to do so. He is uh, yeah. very much a uh wishes he could change his mind kind of guy okay okay yeah absolutely so my... for people's vote and yeah oh really okay so he supported your campaign and stuff did he oh yeah i know yeah i very much supported it. yeah no they, they were very good at that. would you would you say that you had a big influence on changing their minds <laughs> uh, uh i guess so uh, yeah. i guess when you've got someone in the house that's constantly hammering, constantly. yeah questioning why you think xyz um but I'd also like to think that that he is indicative of of the mood across the country. Uh, yeah. People that thought, hang on a minute, you know, I could vote again. I probably wouldn't do so the same in any other uh, democratic vote. You get to change your mind, right? So, I don't know. Um, there's probably a bit of both. There. I think I don't know. I remember that um, the the actual like quote unquote regret was actually quite small, like statistically. I remember there was about a 7% swing either way, like Remainers who were like, oh, it's done now. Like it's actually anti-democratic to want another vote. About 7% went went towards leave. And then about 7% were like, oh, what have we done? Kind of want another vote. And so it kind of almost canceled each other out. I remember thinking that's disappointing that we've, lo that we've lost 7% of our side and we've only gained 7% of the other side, considering everything. Um, I mean, I think that's changed a lot now. I remember the last stats that came out were were much more sort of in the favour of, of Remainers and, and Begret. But that's interesting um, that your parents were sort of in that category. My parents also voted Brexit and were also um, hardcore P PV people by the end. Um, and sort of, I think, I had a chat with them on this podcast actually a few a few episodes ago and they, they sort of said, well, 
in the end, we had our views. They weren't particularly well, um, they weren't really grounded in reality. And you and your brother spent so much time talking about it that in the end, we just agreed with you because it was tricky to argue with you. Basically, you had the better arguments and we just we just felt like we weren't really uh, in the know back in 2016. And I, th I think the conversation that we had was, was quite open and honest. And we both basically said, I don't think either side really knew what the EU was or what the consequences were going to be. But did you feel back then that there was, um, did you feel that the level of the debate progressed in terms of quality at any point? Or do you just think it was just always pretty poor? What, what, what are your views? Uh, do, do you mean as in during the campaign or over the four years? Over the, over the sort of, yeah, over the four years or so. Because obviously pre-2016, I think everyone basically said to a man, it was horrendous like the level the quality was just not there did, did, did you feel that after 2016 through to the general election that there was an increase in inequality that the facts sort of bubbled to the surface at any point or um yeah so uh, you know I, I think that if, if anything it got worse at some points um because there, there was a real period around the time where you know parliament was under a microscope um i mean the votes were constant and it was, it was literally like a circus on like anything yeah uh, over the past however many years i mean I, i'm not old enough to be able to say in my lifetime as if that matters no, no. but um anyway um but then the people who are old enough times. like the ken clarks and the hessel times yeah of course you will say that yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um but, but it literally got to a point where you had um at, at mps like anna Subri in particular mm -hmm. um who was walking from parliament to the a bus or whatever and and they were being accosted by by i mean let's be honest right-wing thugs uh and um so i i don't really think the, the the debate did get any better at any point and i think a lot of that has uh and comes from a, a lack of understanding of what the uh the eu is and um but but, but this is it it never was it never was a, a really forensic uh insight into uh, into the EU and, and us saying no to that. It was it was it was always an emotional thing, and and, and mm. I obviously understood that better than we did. Mm. Um, and, and it's why well, well they or they, they exploited it better than we did. Okay, well that, that that's also true, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's why when you when I get into into taxis or uh, get into conversations with random people and and they say, oh, we're we're now clear of the European Court of Justice, and and then you ask them, what about it? What, you know, what ruling do you actually not like from them? And they have yeah. um, it's, it's the classic James O'Brien line, isn't it? Just give me one, give me one single thing. The day we get full Brexit, one single thing, one piece of legislation, anything. Just give me one thing that you that you are desperate to get that you know Brexit will deliver. And to a to a man, every single caller into that show, every time I've asked the same question, they just go, they panic and go. I can't. I've not got an example off the top of my head. You just go on. Just give me one. Anything. It could be anything. Really small. And then often it's, well. And they they think back and they think, oh, you know, the bendy bananas. And you just think, Jesus Christ. So literally, <laughs> we're back here again. And that was also shown to be a complete nonsense in the first place, anyway. So like most things, Boris Johnson does. But this is. I mean, that, if you want, to, when you ask me the question, do you think the quality of the bit has got better or worse? I think you just have to say bendy bananas. Yeah. I think that that, that 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 does most of it to you. But of course, the saddest thing about it is is not just the these are these are what people think. It's it's the people who aren't typically engaged in politics too much, who aren't uh, who, who don't who don't particularly care in in, in 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 things other than what matters to them. Are their bins getting taken out? Are there um, is there, are there local communities being funded properly from the schools to the hospitals? You know, things that matter to most people. Um, but this one issue that is, is supposed to be very complex um, was able to provide such an emotional attachment and uh, some people got so angry about things they didn't really even understand Yeah, that uh, was, um, was obviously the saddest part. Um, but yeah, I, so I guess in, in short answer to your question, um, not particularly, no, I don't think the debate got any better. And I think it's, uh, uh, I think we were fighting a losing battle. Uh, but I think it's a, a great shame that the, the People's Vote campaign at, at, at no point really got through to people. But at, but at that point, it was it was it was tribal, and it was you know I'm a Remainer or you're a Leaver. So mm, it's, mm. it's almost. I mean, I've, I've asked campaigners over the years, like, 
we failed to connect in 2016 we failed to connect emotionally with people and like nick clegg reflected on this and said oh we should have gone down the security line and talked about being safe in the eu and stuff but to be honest even i struggle to think about really strong emotive pull for the eu obviously there's the whole peace project stuff and, and solidarity and working with our neighbors and cooperation and all of that but if you're not that way inclined then you just don't really care about that sort of thing because it's a an institution that you know is based on laws and, and economics and it, it, it so much of it is so dry it is hard to to sell that on an emotive level have you got i'm, I'm going off script a little bit here but i, I just want to throw this at you because i think the conversation is interesting have you got any really good ideas about how in the future if if um we were trying to rejoin or something or even if you were going to do a talk in the netherlands to a pro eu group there and to say look this is how we failed because we didn't connect emotionally here's my suggestions yeah. might connect connect emotionally what have, i mean have you got any ideas a, a quick point on what what you said and, and um the emotional connection about security and um it, it's a really interesting point because a, a lot of the most vociferous proponents of brexit are, are the people that say you know we fought in and one in World War Two alone, which is obviously not true, but mm. we fought and one in World War Two, we stood alone, uh, and therefore, you know, we can do it. It doesn't matter. We don't need Europe. But then, when you say something like, "Listen, the, the European Union is one of the greatest forces for peace in the world," and it is, and our, our membership fee is not just paying to access a market; it's paying to help build stable governments in the East. That can enable Europe to move forward without conflict. Yeah, uh, and 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 the fact that that doesn't connect emotionally for people mm. said, and it just sounds fluffy and oh well, yeah, but NATO did it or whatever. Actually, speaks to how mollycoddled a lot of the country is. It, it, we haven't had to experience anything bad, and 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 the greatest tragedy is the is the is that is that whole um, the, oh, the dividing line. Uh, in it where, where the people who are most vociferous in that we can stand on our own, that we did uh, and we fought so hard are also those people that underestimate uh, the importance of peace and building on our own continent to help so that we never have to fight in those wars again. Yeah. Uh, if that made if that made any sense. No total sense. Yeah, yeah. I've made the same argument myself plenty of times. Yeah. And I'm with you on that. Um, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's very interesting. But, and then the, Going forward, the emotional point that I would make, um, it's a difficult one, really, isn't it? I mean, what would you say to the Dutch? Because obviously the Dutch have a very different history than we do. They That's true, yeah. The context. And I think, um, you know, a, a, a lot of the reason why we voted the way we did is 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 our is, is our hangover from colonial times, which other Europe our, our, our relationship to our own history, which is in, in, oh, in, absolutely. So, in so many courses, it's just so delusional, isn't it, and, re and revisionist? Absolutely. I mean, th th you know, uh, this is uh, something I think about. And, you know, Germany have really gone through a process of national healing. And I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to make a value judgment on whether, uh, on, on, on who was worse. And obviously that, that's fairly clear. Um, mm. But we've done some fairly shocking things in our past as well. Yeah. The Americans, and I think there's a real contrast with the way that Germany have gone through and properly. I mean, really felt national shame. You speak, I've got cousins in Germany, uh, particularly of my parents' generations, not my cousins, uh, but but people particularly of that generation of my around, my, around 50, 55. Yeah, yeah. That, that remember growing up with intense national shame, being told mm. by own teachers that you that we are bad or X Y Z. Yeah. Um, well, they say. One of the reasons why the, the EU was founded in the early days was because the French were scared of the Germans and the Germans were scared of themselves. <laughs> and I think that's that's that is actually really that's true. And, and I, that's part of the reason why it took us you know, so much longer to join. It took us another 20 odd years because the French had been humbled in the war and the Germans were suffering, like you say, from that from that humiliation and that sense of shame and that and that sense of we cannot we did this twice um for different reasons and blah 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 but but we we messed europe up twice in this in you know in the space of half a decade uh, in a, a half a century we cannot we cannot do this again we, we need to and, and so the way that they decided to do it was let's bind our economies in in, in such a way that the, the the core materials you need to go to war co coal and steel 
is held in a, at the level of a, just slightly above the level of the government, and that will hopefully glue our nations together in a way that that will that will create lasting peace. But the UK didn't want any part of that because we we were arrogant in our view of history, like you just said earlier. We stood alone, complete nonsense. We didn't stand alone, um, and that's persisted. And our, so much of our culture, our popular culture, and and the way of uh, the, what Englishness is, and our identity, and our relationship to the past, so much of that for me is problematic not so much now of our generation and certainly not of the gen gen z who are coming through who i teach have got a much better grasp of history don't have the same kind of delusions of grandeur and all of that but i think of my parents generation i mean i i hesitate to to have a go at the boomers this early on in the in the podcast but um i do think i do think that generation that, that didn't experience the war but came slightly after and and sort of lapped it up but didn't have to experience it um, I, I think that's, that generation have got stuck in that mindset and our generation aren't quite there and the generation above who experienced it weren't there either. But it's really hard to move the, the baby boomer generation, in my opinion, on, on what England is or was um, in that context. I, I do find that, and I, obviously I use my platform to talk about this a lot, but I get a huge amount of pushback on, on some, of the, some of that stuff. Have you had any experiences similar to that? Or? Um. I just never really spoke about it so openly. Um, I, really? Because you're you're quite vociferous on Twitter, aren't you? You, you get stuck in. I quite like your tone's quite similar to mine. You, you don't like you don't really. Uh, well, maybe not quite as uh, as punchy as some, but you know, so I, I, I've had some pushback from some stuff uh, on Twitter. Um, but 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 this is, I guess, not really something that I've delved into so much. It's yeah. come up. Uh, I I never really. Um, do you know in the debate in the actual um people's vote debate and I, I i didn't i didn't want to talk at people so much when said yeah. why britain voted this way because of delusions of national grandeur and whilst that's true um i, I thought it was more a process of trying to take people with you rather than making it a bipartisan debate and, and don't get me wrong i for sure, for sure. I absolutely agree with what you're doing and yeah. i think it's, it's necessary that that education and we, and we i mean on a side note we seriously lack any kind of civic education to the point where in Parliament would seem to be a, a decent thing to do, but anyway, yeah, uh, it's nuts, absolutely nuts. But it was it was just never really something that came up in our campaign. There were always people in our campaign that I mean, so I am now no longer a conservative. Um, uh, I, socially, my views have always been quite to the left. So, so I didn't know this. I didn't know this. So, so well, well, there you go. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Oh, that's interesting because I've got so I've got questions later about some of this stuff. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, so, so I, it's not really when you when you talk about like even I remember being at some event with with, with a few MPs. And I'm obviously not, not going to name name names, and, and and I was saying stuff like um, the Dresden bombings was a complete war, war crime, and 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 even that is enough to to turn people off. Yeah, uh, which is I mean, it's fairly clear that's what it was, but like. Um, so talking about Britain's history in such a way is it's, it's quite sensitive in those circles, and it's just not really something yeah. relevant for a conservative uh, page. And it's this, it's, it's it's all these kind of things that have just prompted me to just. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't mean was your campaign talking about that sort of because you're absolutely right. I guess on the right, World War Two is like it, it's untouchable. It's like <laughs> it's, sacri it's sacrilege to criticise the Allies or or, or, the, or Churchill or Britain. Any, you know, I mean, Dresden's a good example. Dresden, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it. In my opinion, it was wrong to to do to do that. I thought that that was taking it too far. Um, I guess you know, but on the left, we can have that debate quite easily because it's not sacrilege to crit to criticise you know Churchill and the UK in, in in the war period and stuff. But on the right, I mean, it is really it's deistic almost, isn't it? It's like it's it's, it's quasi religious, um, and yeah, I mean. Maybe we'll come to a bit more of this, but I, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move us on because I've got I've got loads I want to talk to you about, um, and that's a really fascinating uh, topic. So we may we may come back to that, but um, I want to talk to you next about the media because obviously, in my opinion, the UK has got quite a loud right wing um, voice in in the press. Yes. You know, it's got plenty of um, tabloids and broadsheets and stuff who've got you know a right wing um, voice and you know right wing backers and, and so on. Um, do you feel as though right wing 
Remain voters like yourself and Remain campaigners like yourself got a fair look in in terms of you know um, being in the media because I like I said to you earlier I didn't I only came across you towards the end and and your campaign mm. um, and I was one of the most active people in the people's you know yeah. so it just seems odd that I, I you know it took so long for me to come across you guys I mean did you get much traction in the press and in the media and stuff. I mean, I think that it's a good question. I think that's the, the, the main the main answer is yes. That's why we started the campaign. I just didn't think there was enough people from the right that were representing the uh, the, the the reasons for why we should have another referendum. Um, that's why we started. Uh, we, we did have a lot of support. We um, and we did have a decent amount of of of, of media buy-in. We had um, what was it? We had. I mean, even on our Twitter page, we had over a million views on our videos, um, like 150,000 likes or something. Um, but but from, from from media, I mean, we had people representing the campaign on talk radio. Uh, we had people representing the campaign on Sky News. We had articles in the Huffington Post, the Times, a few articles in, in, in Redbox. Uh, we had people on Victoria. I mean, we had we, we did have quite a lot. I think to be to be fair on the media in this case, it wasn't necessarily that there wasn't that they were turning people away. Yeah. And I, I think it was more just to do with the fact that there people on the right in the conservative, uh, in the conservative camp that were for a people's vote just were not very vocal. But mm. um, I and, find this really strange because and I think the, the, a key point is is that you mentioned earlier that uh, there were seven people, seven percent of people on the right uh, that voted for Remain that then were against the people's vote. And, yeah. and, then will have come from the Conservative Party, who were very much were for Remain, but you know, democratic will the people. We need to get on with it now. Yeah. Other Conservatives were. I'm not going to say cowed. I, I I think maybe some of them were, and some of them were very uh, opportunistic and uh, about their. And, oh, for sure, for sure. Rear and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, advanced very much into the hard Brexit camp. But I think a lot of Conservatives did genuinely believe that you know this is the this is what we need to do now. I don't like it, but we need to move forward and get. Mm-hmm. They get the best deal for Britain, which is obviously never going to happen. Um, so I think that's th- th- these are all elements into why there was not that many people from the Conservative Party that rep- were represented in the mainstream. The, being pro-EU was the policy, well, it was the position of the Conservative Party from before Thatcher all the way through to David Cameron. So we're talking like how, how many years is that? Like uh, several decades. Obviously, within that, there was, you know, the Conservatives were still happy to sort of bash Brussels every now and again. And you had a kind of a sort of a, a distant, a bit of a distance relationship with, with Europe, but you were never anti, you were never, you, you're Eurosceptics. The, the, well, I say yours, sorry, you're not, you say you're no conservative, but the party, the Conservatives under Cameron certainly um, had loads of remain Remainers in it and Remain voices, but the, but the press, the right-wing press who, who backed Cameron, there seemed to be a disconnect between the party and the press on this one issue because it always seemed to me the, the media particularly the tabloids um the Wall Street Telegraph Express Mail Sun were incredibly Eurosceptic for all the way through from 2016 and backwards I just I just wonder what your thoughts are on why that was um because that disconnect it, it for me it felt like why aren't the Greaves and the Gorks and the Subris getting you know front front page of the telegraph is it is it my thesis has always been the 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 right-wing press is more erg than one nation tory yes um and that's kind of why they they promoted the the, the brexit narrative far more i mean what are your thoughts on that i mean am i just talking nonsense or on on, on what specifically why the why the the press are so much more eurosceptic yeah, yeah. I just why were what? Why did I see so much Nigel Farage and so much, um, so many of these imbeciles in the ERG? You know, people that just don't know anything oh, yeah. um, compared to the really knowledgeable, sensible people like the Greaves and the Gorks and so on. I just I found that really odd. Well, I, I, I think first thing is that uh, the disconnect between Cameron and the and the media was um, what is in the, the 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 media that you're talking about is was 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 always there it, 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 it was not really surprising as well because cameron i think in a, in, in a large in a large way um 
was not really so representative of the grassroots of the Conservative Party. I mean, I think that the, the, the main issue with, with that would be is that, um, how do I put this? Cameron and the grassroots, were, I mean, he got, he got elected in, but on Europe, was never really so, I mean, the, the, the Conservative grassroots even before, I mean, obviously it got more extreme towards the, towards, uh, towards 2017, 2018, 2019, but uh, the Conservative grassroots, I think were always fairly Eurosceptic. Uh, I think the main disconnect happened and became more apparent because of how much of an issue the European debate became. Hmm. I think, I, I, I'm not, it's difficult to talk about because I don't, I, I, I have to be honest and say, I don't really know why uh, the, 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 these newspapers that you're talking about, The Sun, The, the Express, are so Eurosceptic. Um, and why there's such, and why there's such a divergence between people like Gork uh, getting airtime or uh, page, page space uh, versus Nigel Farage. I think a simple answer for that one quickly would be, but they're they're from two different parties, really. You know, David Gork and Nigel Farage should not be. I mean, they're, obviously they're not. But David Gork and Marc Francois, or, or Rhys yeah. Mogg, or Steve Baker, are not the same Conservatives. I mean, they, they are both very clear about that, yeah. and they shouldn't really be in the same party. So yeah. when when we say that there should have been more David Gork um, or Dominic Grieve representation in the um, in the Sun. Maybe a couple of years ago, when it was a more broadened debate, and we were talking about tax policy uh, and cutting income tax and stuff like that. Um, but when but when it became so overwhelmingly about Europe, it, it, it was just the one issue debate. The Conservative Party had, had eaten itself alive, and, and and it was only talking about Europe and run out of ideas. Um, so in that sense, it's not really surprising that there was such a overall uh, overwhelming sorry representation of of one brand of Conservative. Um, when of course you know Brexit's not at least no deal Brexit's not conservative at all. It's you know, conservative is about making incremental change, not just uh, putting a bomb underneath your closest and most important ally. I, I hope that answers that. I, I know I stumbled a bit in the beginning. It's it's quite a hard thing to answer, but, the, but I think the main thing is because they're just not the same brand of conservative. Yeah, and that's kind of what I think. That's kind of where I was almost almost leading you anyway. Was uh, that, that's my, that's my view as well. Is that the the press that the, the right wing press in our country is more UKIP than. One Nation Tory, and 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 therefore, it, my view is that it gives a, its platform largely to the the nut jobs in the ERG as opposed to the more sensible voices um, that were in David Cameron's government, for instance. Um, obviously, the Times has got some good some good right wing commentary, uh, centre right, you know, sensible One Nation centre right commentary. Um, but I, for me, Telegraph, Daily Mail, Sun, Express, those four combined, plus then you've got you throw in Leave Leave EU. Um, <coughs> And sometimes, you know, um, spectator and conservative home and stuff. And you just have so many different platforms, but they're, but they're all providing a platform to the most loony sort of like group who, are, who just do not represent Britain at all. And I, I always wonder, do they even represent the majority of conservatives? Because it's a broad church, isn't it? The conservative party, like we were just talking about. And I always wonder, does... Does Steve Baker really represent a majority of conservatives in the UK? Does what? Well, but, but this is the, but this is the, I think this is the problem with our with, with our system. Unfortunately, uh, Steve Baker does represent a lot of the conservative membership right now. Uh, and 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 a problem with the Conservative Party is that it's always and and, and you're more sent again. Won't name names here, but you're more sensitive, sensible, uh, middle of the middle of the ground conservative MPs um, have always been convinced of the idea and and and, and why not proportional representation. Have been convinced of the idea that you know, we can contain this right-wing element that exists uh, in this country, because they, of course, acknowledge it. Um, of, of course, the issue becomes is when that right-wing element is not just an element, and it starts yeah. to be the party. And if you, if you look, at, if you look at, um, at polls, you will have hard, uh, uh, no-deal Brexit, 80% of Conservative voters or something like that, mm. Conservative members. But then when you compare it to actual conservative voters, particularly conservative voters in 2015, it, it's like, well, it, 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 I don't know, but it's nowhere near that number. It might not be yeah. even a majority. But, so, but that, that, that's, that's the, core, the core difference is, is that Steve Baker actually probably does represent 
his members of his constituency, which are really all that um, that, that matters in this, um, especially when you don't when you elect a prime minister based on the membership rather than the actual uh, population at large. So, so no, it, it doesn't. But un unfortunately, you've, you've you've only got Conservatives or Labour, and yeah, this is um, it, it doesn't it doesn't provide many options for people who don't want Jeremy Corbyn, I guess. Yeah, no, totally. I'm going to get that. It, like, with the system. I mean, just I was going to actually no. I'll stick to the I'll stick to the plan because I was, I won't I won't sneak a question in now. I'll wait. Um, Go for it. No, no. I'll I'll, I'll do the order because I'm, I'm going to come back to this in a minute actually. But I want to just throw in this for a minute. Um, I read a really good article, or what I thought was a good article, um, in the Times a few months ago, and it was titled. Um, a crisis of conservatism, and it spoke about how the the Conservative Party under the ERG are no longer conservatives. It's no longer yeah. a conservative party. It's an English nationalist party now, um, yeah. closer to the BNP than it was to the, the party now is closer to the BNP than it was to David Cameron's Conservative Party. Do you feel there is a crisis of conservatism? Do you yeah. see? You do. Go on. Talk to me about that. Can you? Uh, I mean, I'll ask you a question quickly. Um, do you? Can you name one? policy that you think encapsulates the modern conservative that they really believe in that they are really pushing that they really want to use to change the country Can, i mean it, not even a policy an area where they are really coming up with ideas and innovating um okay. well, I, I it, well no and i've i've made this point several times is i don't know what this party stands for currently because it you used to be able to say okay family values and um, you know, um, fiscal, you know, being sensible with the economy and stuff. But yeah, now it's very, kind of like, go on. Yeah, I mean, a deference to the army, all stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Video of Francois talking to the um, the the head of the British army. I can't remember. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know Carter, the guy, yeah. Nick Sonic Carter. Uh, yeah. And he, he said something along the lines of, if you don't sort yourself out, Dominic Cummings is going to march in with his men and sort you out for you. And yeah. it's, this, it, it, everything is sacrificable, sacrificable if that's even a real word, uh, on the altar of Brexit. So even these values that you think you used to associate with the Conservative Party is under the bus as long as it enables them to get what they want in, in terms of Brexit. Mm. Um, so what, what's the solution? Is I mean, is is are the One Nation Tories, are they going to try and wrestle the party back? Are they going to set their own party up? I mean, is this a long-term thing? How, how, do you, how do you get conservatism, how do you get the right back to a place where people can actually vote for them who may not even be conservatives? Because right now, my brother voted for David Cameron <clears throat> and he's a lib, and he's, you know, he's, uh, um, his first time he voted. And it, it, sometimes it was, it was actually quite hard to tell the difference if you didn't know much about politics between David Cameron and Nick Clegg back back then. They weren't too dissimilar. Um, but now, when you look at Boris Johnson and the ERG, they are so, so far to the right, so far removed in terms of it, our values, in terms of just decent, like decency and like human values. It, it's, it, it feels like the it feels like the right is suffering from a, a complete collapse in it's it's a value system and everything that it ever believed in. I don't know what the roadmap looks like or how long it would take or how you get back there. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, first they need to they need to really hone in what that that means for them and what the issue is. Unfortunately, now they're they're, they're running on a uh, short term wave of, of populism, uh, but in the long run, a lack of ideas and a lack of real values will not uh, win you votes. But I mean, the crisis of conservatism, I think, is, um, is, is summed up in, in, in two ways, really. One, what, what we've already mentioned, uh, is very much running out of ideas. Mm. And the second one is they seem to be against everything, mm. but not really for a lot. I mean, you know, conservatives or, I mean, classical liberals, neoliberals, whatever, uh, generally tend to be hands off with the economy, uh, like to let it do what it wants, um, to let the free market... Uh, allocate resources in a moral way is what they say right um you know obviously there's no doubt that the free market can't do anything can't do everything and should not do everything i.e healthcare um but what we're seeing in our system is when this market is left unchecked and i think 30 years of thatcherism um 
or 40 years gone even now, uh, has, has left a system in place where you have got just huge disparities of wealth. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I mean you see corporate uh, pay packets absolutely soaring over last year with minimum wages and uh, uh, lowest uh, earners in the company going nowhere. Yeah, public sector pay freezes as well, like on the NHS and stuff. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got wealth allocations that are so extreme, not just amongst classes as well, but with age and in in geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the problem becomes uh, that in a capitalist system, if you have a system and in, if you have an entire generation like um, you know I'm 24, so so very much my generation now that are just completely without capital when it comes to homes. Uh, and there's obviously a very British psyche about needing to own your own home. Right. The, the, the point becomes, how can young people believe in a system that does not, where they don't even own the main means to, 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 to be able to actually contribute or not contribute, but to, to participate fully in that, uh, in that system. So you've got a whole generation that are growing up thinking and are looking at the Conservative Party like you are the custodians of this wealth, the um, and and you're blocking policies that are necessary for more health, home building or taxing or so you you've got an entire generation that are essentially saying, what's the alternatives? Mm-hmm. And the Conservative Party don't have any ideas for that because of course if they tax uh, if they have a wealth tax that that hits it directly at their um, th- their base, which is old older people um, brought from with capital who have capital who have. Who have sat on a house for the last uh, thirty years, even twenty years, uh, and it's just appreciated in value immensely. Um, you know, even in the last twenty years in London, uh, average house prices have gone from like four times average wage to like fifteen times average wage in a generation. Mm-hmm. And the Conservative, so I, I don't think the Conservative Party have any real answers for that, right? So that's turning an entire generation off. Uh, second, obviously, they're not really for much as well, right? They're against Europe, uh, but can't tell you why. Uh, that, that is populism, though. I mean, it's the same all over Europe, isn't it? All the populist yeah. parties are very much so anti-Islam, anti-immigration, anti-EU, just be, be anti-stuff. Yeah. Um, and usually populists turn up historically when there's been some kind of depression or something or, or a crisis. And we've, ha- we've had multiple crises in the UK. We've had the collapse of the banks in 2008, then we had like the, the expenses scandal, which like created, like, fermented, like in, increased cynicism. Then we had like the the, um, the migration crisis in the EU and stuff. Um, so we've had like lots of different things that have just created layers and layers of cynicism over over over, over time. Um, and that is often when populists steal in, and they don't come in with solutions. That's not po- what populists do. They're not they're not solution focused. They're problem focused. They come in and go. That guy over there, he's he wants to take your your healthcare. He wants to take your kid's um, school place or something. And that's... It's, and it's, it's like, I was going to say, and for me, it, it's sad to see um, a cons- the Conservative Party that, you know, I mean, I'm not a Conservative and I, I really, really despise this Conservative Party, but <laughs> I am, um, for obvious you reasons... Mean, you but, and me both, James. Yeah, well, it's hard not to, isn't it? I mean, they make it pretty easy, but it, it's sad to see in the UK, and maybe this is a little bit of um, exceptionalism that I've got built into me, but I've always looked at the UK and thought both sides, they've got their differences. Sensible, stable. But, but it's grounded in, in, in certain core norms, you know, integrity to a certain extent, truth to a certain extent. Like if you get caught out lying, you should resign or you get pushed out. But now you just double down and you come up with a new lie and lie after lie and you just saturate the debate document. with more lies. Huh? You say, of course, that document that came out of a local Conservative Party. If you yeah, say exactly, yeah, then you completely just—I mean, it's like uh, a ninja with a what's that flashbang that you just you disorientate your opponent. You have no idea what they're doing. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. Just basically, Trump seems to be doing okay over there. Let's just copy him. That seems to be working. Just like, well, I mean, unfortunately, you, you cannot have, uh, and, and you're right. It is it is a, it is a problem increasingly in, in lots more countries, but particularly in the US. Uh, you can't have a system that's built on one party that's pro-democracy and another party that is pro, I don't know what, but not just certainly, I mean, they're not certainly not democratic, a lot of those uh, re- Republicans. Mm. But yeah, you've got across Europe as well. I mean, but, but it's, it's also interesting how quickly these, these people get found out. They are the same, they're the people that will, that will ride to the whole, refugees are not welcome, we need to look after our own. But then as soon as 
you have the government refusing to to, to feed uh, hungry children, no problem with that. Yeah. Uh, it's on the parents. It's on the drug taking parents to uh, where. And, and as soon as you've got um, this scandalous delivery, I mean, really, I mean, thirty pounds for a week uh, for, for for it with like a half a pepper. And um, yeah, it's nuts. The again, hypocrisy is all about personal responsibility and how if we take care of everyone, how are people going to learn to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, you know, um, until it comes to allowing uh, a mother to, to have a voucher to actually choose their own, um, to, to choose what to spend it on for, for her own kids. Um, you know, um, it's, 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 it's all of us. Could, do you think the Conservative Party could ever get behind electoral reform, specifically proportional representation like they have on the continent? <laughs> well, I, I think anyone can get behind proportional representation with enough years uh, out of power. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, unfortunately, I, uh, I, I see this, this system benefits the Conservatives so much. I mean, just look at the threat from the right that we were talking about earlier. If, the Brexit, if, if we had proportional representation, the Brexit Party would have a comfortable amount. I mean, they would have had a lot more than they did. You know, it's it's so convenient for the Conservatives that they are fairly evenly spread around England. Because if they weren't and they were geographically located, they'd have taken 50 seats, right? Just like the SNP in Scotland. Um, so it, 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 it makes no sense for the Conservatives at all to back proportional representation. It is one of the main things. It's like the Republicans in the US. Uh, I mean, it's the contradictions in the lunacy, right? The, 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 the Electoral College is one of the main things that's helped the Republicans. I mean, they've literally lost every popular vote in the last five elections, six elections, and somehow four, like three of the, I don't know how, how many, but you know, obviously Bush uh, twice, and then Trump, all losing the popular vote, getting the presidency. Um, so I, I think it works fairly similarly here. The, the, the first past the post system helps enable uh, the conservatives to have majorities that they wouldn't otherwise have if it was a proportional representation system, uh, but as, uh, just just to go off topic slightly, it's the, it's the lunacy in the um, uh, in the contradictions of this whole populist wave that it's just so short termism, and I think that's what, what will be the un, uh, will be the the death of it all. Because you, you had people like Ted Cruz in um, in in the Senate the other the other week before that awful uh, ruckus. Mm. Uh, Laura Kunzberg alluded to it as. Um, Did she? She called it a ruckus. What did she call it? She said there is, I don't know, I can't remember the exact word, but it was it was something that people seized on fairly quickly as, of course, Twitter would, but she, she probably um, responded quite quickly before it became clear what it was. I, I, right, okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. It was quite funny. Um, but there you had people in the, in the Senate genuinely arguing that they should just ignore the electoral college. The electoral college is not right, it needs to be checked. And then Mitch McConnell saying, you idiots, we need this. It's the only reason that we still have presidents elected consistently. Yeah. You guys are shouting over it for this one time. And I mean, when Mitch McConnell becomes the voice of reason, you know you're in a bad place. You're really bad, really bad. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's been really interesting. I mean, that's, that's a totally different conversation, but it's been really interesting watching how different Republicans are treating this moment because they're like, oh, is, is, is Trumpism, is that a sinking ship now? Do we, do we sort of like revert back to sort of like a, a slightly older Republicanism where, where, where we, we're a little bit more on the side of democracy and the rule of law and societal norms that used to exist? Or do we just go along with Trump for the time? I mean, literally to a man in the Republican Party, except for, what was the former presidential? Um... Romney. Yeah, 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 Romney. Yeah, apart from him and McCain. Well, yeah, but he's gone now. But yeah, yeah. McCain. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's been uh, like, and the same has been true of the Conservative Party to, to an extent since the general election, at least. You, you did have some brave Conservatives pre pre twenty nineteen. You know, the ones that got um, that either joined joined Tig or got booted out. You know, because of the campaign that uh, Aaron Banks ran with EU and stuff. But um, I was so disappointed to see so many conservative MPs just go along with it. Well, I, I thought I, the whole time people were saying to me, oh, I don't trust the Tories. They they just, they're not the right characters. They're going to betray us at the end. And I was thinking, no, no, they're just, they're keeping their gun, you know, their gunpowder dry. They're just waiting for the right moment. There, there's plenty in there that will stand up and be counted. And it just never came. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, um, 
I, I had um, I, I remember conversations with uh, people like people like Damien Green, people like Nicky Morgan, um, who were probably not too happy about what was going on, but it was that it was just, the, the, in the Conservative Party, the respect, the will of the referendum was so overwhelming. It almost became like a bunker because uh, it was like our Brexit's getting attacked. Uh-huh. We need to band together and and also, you know, a, a lot of these conservatives, um, the 2016 campaign was was toxic, particularly uh, in, in certain seats in certain areas, um, be it in the southeast or in the north. But there, there were some conservative MPs that would that would have been more remain. And we spoke about the fact that, that the associations were much more leave, and and for them. It would have been literally hell would have frozen over before they would have campaigned against their entire association if another if another people's vote campaign came uh so if sorry if another referendum came uh came and um the people's vote um so, so they would just they would absolutely put in their career before their country well i, I i'm not i'm not sure it's that simple because a lot of these mps resigned in 2019 um uh like Nikki Morgan didn't stand again in that election. There were, I can't remember. All... She would have got reassurances. Oh, we'll stick you in the Lords. It's fine. Well, I think she is in the Lords, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get that. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's something quite different, I guess, being in the Lords and being an MP. Um, and Joe Johnson, likewise. I just, I think for him, it was just, he just could not stand against his own brother in that way. Um, well, he did, didn't he? He was, he was. He was. He got really stuck into the People's Vote campaign towards the end. Yeah, but but but, but, but at that time, Boris was not the prime minister, right? And then as soon as Boris came, the prime minister it was just like, "This is it's not really, um, or uh, this is not really for me, or I just can't." I, I don't know. Uh, so 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 so, so at MPs. It was it was less about putting their career first and more think about getting being scared or thinking that it just wasn't worth it because they think that they a lot of them thought we'd still lose the referendum. So that so they thought I'm gonna to have to stand against my whole association here. That's it, not gonna be nice. Was Brexit not the hill to die on? Like that, that for me, that was a once in a generation moment, like a once in a century moment. Like that, it you you would win your seat back if you wanted to in ten years' time, if you if you wanted to, because history would would show that you were on the right side of history. You you put your country first. I think history will be absolutely scathing of the current political class in the Conservative Party, particularly, about how they put, in my, I mean, in my opinion, you're saying maybe it's not so much about, but in my opinion, there were far too many that just said, if I, if I, if I challenge Brexit and if I back people's vote, I'm going to lose my seat. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah, but a lot of them sort of, but, but a lot of them would have thought, what's the point of me losing my seat? I need to be here after to make sure that I try my best to keep the government to account and to try and make sure that we have a, a, a best as best deal as possible. Obviously, that's uh, trying to negotiate with a tiger when your head's in its mouth, right? But um, I, think, I think that's I, a I really, I really think there were a lot of Conservative MPs at the time that would just actually would have act, would have genuinely preferred not to have been in politics than to have had to go through the whole referendum process again. They just it was too even even because it was the years after that as well. It was nonstop. We're just like, I'm just. I'm fed up with it all. I'm getting asked to put um, party before my principles. And uh, honestly, I think they were scared in a lot of ways as well. There were some MPs that would actually got to the point where it was just like, this is not worth it. Mm. I guess, I mean, that is politics though, isn't it? Like it, tough choices. And it, it just, it, it was unfortunate that for me, we just, we didn't have any, we didn't have enough heavyweights at the right time. There were, there were too many people in there mediocre talent, lots of just average characters. Um, and, and, and we needed, we needed heavyweights. We needed some serious statesmen and women. And they just, there were too few, uh, there were few and far between in my opinion, but I mean, that, you know, I, I don't want to fixate too much on, on all of that. So let's just, let's move on. I, I'll, I'll be quick now because we, we've slightly run over. So I want to talk to you about the future. Um, I've asked everyone this, and perhaps you don't. Perhaps maybe you, you don't feel that this is the right thing to do. But do you do you? Uh, so what I'll do is I'll rephrase it. Do you think rejoining 
is one, something we ought to be thinking about and, and pursuing? And two, do you think it's likely? And if so, how long do you think it would take? Oh, I mean, I it's just it's asking, I mean, you'd have to have a crystal ball to be able to know the answer to these questions. Um, I think I think our, our destiny, if, if you put it like that, lies in the heart of Europe. I mean, we are um, the fifth largest economy in the world, soon to be the sixth. Um, but that doesn't really mean much when the first and the second and soon to be the third with India are five, six, seven times larger than you in just in, just in, in GDP alone and like 100 times larger than you in terms of uh, geographical mass. So, you know, there is no doubt in my mind that we will at some point go back into the European Union. The European Union exists because it always would, maybe not in the form that it has taken, uh, but that is what it is. And um, as, as a, a country with a proud history, I, 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 see, I see no doubt that at some point we will go back to being uh, a leader in a leading block in the world, in a world that's run by blocks. So I don't see any doubt in that. Timescales, I have no idea. Uh, there'll be a lot, a, a lot smarter men and women than me that will be able to give you a better prediction on that, on how long it takes to uh, disentangle, then re-entangle, whether we will disentangle at all. Um, uh, and and what was the th so, so the first question, obviously, uh, well, when is it we is it possible? Should we? Yeah, should we? I mean, do you, I mean, clearly you're not currently campaigning to rejoin, um, but there are some who are. I mean, what, what should our, I say our community loosely, obviously there's there's still a very, very big pro-EU community in yeah. the UK who is still very passionate, very angry, and are still quite active. So, um, you know, what would you, what would you suggest that their, you know, it, it, suppose that their, their goal, really their main goal, their overriding cause is to, is to rejoin. What would you what would you suggest is the, is the best course of action to get there? Wait, <laughs> just and, and do nothing. Just just wait and hope. Or I I, I think uh, so. So like um, people that I worked with in the campaign, someone like Patrick uh, Lowlander. Did, did, did you ever meet him? I know the names. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so so, so Patrick was the was was the was the leader of this, the Conservative for People's Vote campaign. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Or at least he was the the national. Um, director or whatever I call it. Um, he now works for EFTA for UK. So I, I, I think a lot of effort is going into um, how do we make this less bad than it could be. Mm -hmm. do, do you know, I, I, I honestly have no idea how you would position a rejoin campaign because, you know, all, all and, and they're completely right, all it would be is you know, we would have to rejoin without our rebate. We'd have to join Schengen. We'd have to join the Euro. We would, maybe not so much the Euro because there are still big countries in, in the European Union that are not part of the Euro. Um, it's it's we, conceivable. We, 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 still, we still in this tribal, I am a Brexit man or woman and you are a Remainer. We have to get past that before we can have, and we, we, we ha I think we do have to get past the tribal element of it before we, there's any chance of actually rationally opening a conversation again. Because any conversation we open now will be fueled by emotions, right? To have an actual rational conversation, the tribal elements of it have to be dropped, which will not happen for years. Um, unless Brexit is a nightmare and things go massively wrong. But then you've already seen that the newspapers will blame the EU for that. You know, we will not accept any responsibility. The government won't. So there, would, there won't be any changing of minds. So I'm honestly very pessimistic about it. I'm sorry to, to say. But no, that, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't I'm, see a route back in the, in the short time. And I'm, I sort of feel the same as you in, in the sense that I, I, I cannot see a path forward with particularly how social media works and how, how tribal our press is in the UK and therefore how people live in literally different information universes from one another that the the, the the overlapping objective reality is just is receding all the time isn't it yeah um so we can it, once we can no longer agree on objective facts it's very hard to to have a, a subjective debate because we can't even we can't even be like right let's agree on this to start with um so yeah but 
and I don't really know how to address that other than to start regulating social media a bit more and, and have um, stricter stricter rules on on free speech, which as a liberal is a scary thing to say, but <laughs> I sometimes Well, you can't shut like, fire in a crowded uh, movie theatre for no reason, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But I just, I feel like we're eating ourselves alive and I feel like there are probably outside sources, the Kremlin, that are that are pushing these pressure points. And that are cheering. Indeed, yeah, way. yeah. I mean, that's what the KGB did, didn't they, during the Cold War, is they, they worked out where the Americans and the British in, in our societies... Um, where the where the schisms were, where the cleavages were, and then they just they tr they they pumped money into pushing their thumb on those. But now, of course, they can get into individual homes, uh, which they wouldn't have been able to do before. Exactly, precisely, yeah. Um, with with social media. But on, on a serious note, though, I, I I we are in the vanguard of a new world when it comes to social media. Mm -hmm. I'm um, 24, so I I I grow up distinctively remembering the the transition. Uh, from stuff like PBM to, to to more Facebook, and by the time I was maybe 15, 16, 17, but it wasn't it, it wasn't so all encompassing as it is. Equitous, yeah. yeah. I look at my 13 year old sister, and I really think, wow, she is growing up with I mean, she's being hammered by I mean ads in a way that would never have yeah, been, yeah, yeah. Uh, 10, 15 years ago. But 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 the point is, is that we are we. We're, we're, it's a brave new world when it comes to social media and hopefully it can be for the good but like any new industry it has its teething problems right you have companies that will take advantage of a lack of regulatory space um i mean you look at airlines uh, in the in the 50s or planes in general i mean you, you, yeah there were quite a few crashes um until over time there's more regulation you iron out issues so that there it's a functioning stable industry that can be trusted and we haven't got that far with social media yet. Unfortunately, I mean, you see the kind of questions that Congress people, uh, the Senate senators, sorry, uh, in America, asked Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, it's yeah. like, how do you make money? I mean, they don't well, it, was, it was. They might as well have asked, how do you log in? Well, they literally might as well have asked, what is a Facebook? Yeah, they have literally no understanding of it. So, no. I mean, and when and when you know, how do you expect actual regulation to come? So, so it's, it's going to take time. And obviously there might be a few moral um, issues along the road, but there will... the problem is though with this in particular, like it, it, fair enough with planes. Okay. You get a few crashes and, and people die, but we're talking about with social media, the, the potential for literally the breakdown of democracy and arguably civilization and, and, and particularly social norms and objective truths and stuff like that's far more sinister and dangerous. And therefore we're against the clock as well, because every year that this goes on and, and I've seen it over the last five years or so adults who I'd known from my childhood and stuff would never speak to me in an abusive way. Just in the last few years, abuse online. I'm just thinking, dude, like what is going on? The norms, the norms of our society. I just feel like there's been a breakdown of the sort of social contract and that's been massively to do with social media. So I feel like unless we get a, a grip on social media quickly, it could unravel in a really sinister way. That's, that's my fear. Um, Do you know, I think I think that the, the powerful of always, and I, I, not to sound like a crackpot here, but um, uh, you know, the, the ruling class, shall we put it? And of course, there is always been a ruling class, more extreme in, in, in times gone by. Have always had means of exercising power. A couple of hundred years ago, it would have been a lack of information, right? A lack of information of what's going on. Whereas now, it's gone the complete opposite way, and you know, social media and the internet. I think are generally good. I mean, if you'd have asked someone in the 1850s, which only relied on the printing press, would you like to get this information directly to you that do not have to, that, that, that can't be controlled or, or, or manipulated? I probably would have said, yes, we need information. We don't have information, right? If they'd have understood the concept of what social media would be. Anyway, point is, is that social media is supposed to be a force for good in that it's easier to share information. It's easier for people to figure, to, to, to find things out that maybe the government would otherwise not want you to find out. Uh, unfortunately, the government have also, not, maybe not the government, but the, but the, the forces that be, uh, again, we're being a conspiracy theorist, here, absolutely not. Well, the Koch brothers, you know, the billionaire, the right-wing well, billionaire. Exactly, the, these people that are behind the scenes and trying to influence things by, by, by donating a, a, an extortionate amount of money uh, for elections in America, um, will adapt as well, right? It's a, it's, 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 it's a battle between real news and fake news, right? So, 
and and a lot of these people will will adapt to try and and they will find a way to control social media in the way that they've been able to control uh, other forms of media in the past and again i'm not pointing to a specific person when i say the ruling class uh, or the powerful in general because I, I understand that's very populist uh, and that's not what yeah. i'm for at all but there is of course always an element of exercising control whether that be by big companies or uh, kings of the past or despots and it's just it's it's just it's it's, it's like a game of cat and mouse almost it's like mm. a thing to um, I'm not as chilled as you on this. Like I think, I think, I think you and I are in slightly different places on this. I, I feel like there's a, there's an emergency that uh, that's uh, that we're and we're against the clock. But I mean, I, I take what you're saying, and you're obviously you're absolutely right. Like it's, there's always there's always an arms race, isn't there, between power and and then trying to keep power in check and making sure that it it's in the interest of the people and stuff. But yeah, okay, I, I was, I, I've gone way over time now, so I, I want to just um, I want to end on a final final question, just, and you can make this really brief. But you're a young person, you got into politics, you know, for, you know, for a few years. What would you say to young people now who are looking at the state of the world and thinking, I want to do something, but I just don't know where to start. Like, where should I be putting my energy? How do I get involved in campaigning? Am I going to make a difference? What would your message be to young people that are caring about the world and want to do something? Uh, I mean, there are so many issues. I mean, really, uh, there are a lot. you've got climate, you've got um, in China now, the, the, the Uyghur, you've got, I mean, so, so many uh, issues that transcend poli uh, transcend countries, transcend uh, uh, communities. There's not, uh, there's not a shortage of issues to get involved in, and there are lots of ways to uh, there, there there are lots of ways to get involved. Even even something as simple as uh, finding a page on Twitter that 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 resonates with you, and messaging them, asking them how to get in touch. The one thing I I, I have found I have found it quite difficult to get grad schemes i think a lot of young people are having the same thing getting on the job ladder is very difficult i mean not i mean not to mention covid uh it's very difficult to just turn up at someone's office and say can you give me a job whereas in politics they can't tell you to F unless up. you went to Eton, but yeah <laughs> well, unless you went to Eton. Yeah. um uh, but in politics they can't tell you to f off you can campaign you can volunteer in, in, in a way and you can get access to people in, in a way that you would not be able to do in the private sector so and 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 that that's really what I found in my final year of university. I, I felt very strongly about Brexit, and I wanted to get involved. And the more I got involved, the more I learned, the more people that I met, uh, the more contacts that I made, and the more that I was able to get the the group out there and uh, and push it. So I, I think that's probably the best thing that I would say. Just get involved with anyone that you resonate with, if it resonates with you, um, and 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 turn up. Because people are always looking for volunteers and the more you show yourself, the more you learn, the more you get trusted, the more that you can do. Jordan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. James, absolute pleasure, mate. I hope you enjoyed that. Next week on the show, we have Graham Hughes, one of the most passionate pro-EU campaigners out there across the last two years. In this episode, we talk about why Graham was compelled to get into politics, despite having not come from a political background himself. We talk about the European identity, what it means to be a Remainer, and we talk about the future, what our community does now moving forward. I hope to see you then. Thanks so much.